0: We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical.
1: Just one more thing.
0: Hey, now. Oh, boy.
1: Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one way. What is the other way?
0: When are
2: these days? Are we having fun yet?
1: It's gonna be legend. Wait for it.
0: Now you might very well think that.
2: but of course I couldn't possibly comment.
0: Bertie Helens
1: agreed. Oh come on! missed it by that much. Good evening.
2: Hello and welcome to the Televerse Sound Sights TV podcast. This is Kate Kozak joined as ever by Mr. Simon Howell. Howdy? <laughs> Simon, how's it going?
1: I haven't really slept in a couple of days. Uh, it's, it's school crunch time. I had due dates on Friday and I have some today. We're recording a day early and, uh, then I have to clean my house cause my, my, uh, mother's coming for a visit. It's, it's, it's getting hectic, but uh, after, after she leaves, I get to relax for a couple of weeks and I think we'll also have a lighter TV load. We? How about you?
2: <laughs> well, um, well, the first thing that for me is that hopefully this will, Cheer you up your cookies are in the mail oh they have exciting. Been, Thank they you. they have been sent off um so hopefully they don't get lost at the canadian border but uh you'll have to let me know how those how that goes but then it's also so i finished the cookies so christmas baking is done i think i'm not doing the christmas cards the christmas reviews are going pretty well sound on site and we also got to talk with Matt Singer this week uh about Insomniac with David Tell for the D V D shelf, and that's gonna be coming up later in the show. So for me it was actually a pretty, pretty fun week. Uh and that is and uh a nice opportunity to do some some fun things. So I'm sorry that you're having such a a, a tough time with it this week.
1: <laughs> that's all right. It'll happen. But uh we have a lot of shows to talk about this week, which is surprising.
2: Yeah, I was I was pretty surprised uh to see just how many are still on the air for another week or, or maybe two. So uh, let, let's, let's get into this. Now, we had a few comments at, at the website. So we heard from Mario, who uh, had posted lots of interesting thoughts about the the last week's TV, and people who are interested should go check it out. He has some, some fun things to say. Um, he also mentioned that he's a fan of The Closer, which is starting up, I think it's the second half of its final season, um, coming up soon here. And I feel like I should try to catch some of this before. Before the series ends, because Mario recommends it, and I know some other people who pretty much only like like Breaking Bad and and those kind of shows, but they also like The Closer. Are you familiar with the series?
1: No, I know that it's the other series that's based on Prime Suspect, and I I like Kyra Sedgwick, but I've never ever seen even one second of it.
2: So we'll have to see because they have do have a really great cast and no supporting cast that is, and no, notably uh, J K Simmons who I always love. So I I feel like I'm gonna have to check that out. Um when it, when it comes back so I'll, we'll stay tuned for that. Um, we also heard from Ken who posted a lengthy and uh, and and passionate defense of Sepinwall because we uh, we uh, had a little bit of a, a disagreement with him last week as far as uh, how I met your mother and and so he, he, he posted some defense of Sepanola's position and I think that's great um, so that was that's in- entertaining. Um, and then the, he also says he likes the Good Wife's wheel of guest stars, um, but he's he's getting a little frustrated at how convenient Alicia's phone tends to be. You know, it it, it, t- it tends to ring at just the r- the wrong time, and then she turns the ringer off at just the wrong time, etc. So, uh, yeah. And, and he also says that he would rate us on iTunes, but he hates them with the fire of a thousand suns, at least. So. <laughs> oh.
1: All I have to say is, doesn't everyone's real-life phone always ring at the wrong time?
2: Mine doesn't, but then again, I I learned early on in my orchestral career that it would be very, very bad if that happened, so I'm uber aware of it.
1: Oh, but yeah, you have professional reasons to not be an idiot. (laughs) The rest of us have to do it. You know, just of our own volition.
2: Um, and then we heard from uh, Keith, who loves Xena. So it was it was really fun for me to, re- you know, revisit Xena and talk with some people about it after we posted our episode. So I thought that was pretty cool to hear from him. Then on Twitter, uh, I, I was sharing the love. I just started Justified Season 1 finally. And so I was talking about that and State of Play with Keith and Eric and Corey. And then, of course, some amazing race talk with Dan and Mario. But we're going to get to that later in the show um, we don't have any new iTunes ratings this week, but we do have a lot of new things going on up at uh, org. Of course, we're continuing our 25 Days of Christmas. I will be putting up, actually, when this, when this go, comes out, I will have put up a, a new review yesterday and a re- review tomorrow. So lots of fun things there. But you also put up this massive, totally awesome year in review mix. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Uh, yeah, well, I mean, uh, t- the day that we're recording today, the twelfth of December, marks the third anniversary of the site. And uh, normally, Rick writes up a little thing saying, "Oh, thank you. You know, it's a, it's our anniversary." But I thought, uh, since it's the holidays and you know we turn three, and also since I don't have a music show anymore, I thought it would be a good way to uh, sort of work out that muscle. So I I made sort of a mix of. Uh, clips from some some of the more notable films of the year and some of my favorite tracks of the year, and managed to squeeze in about just under forty tracks and just under eighty minutes. So oh. uh, it took it took it took some doing, but I'm I'm quite happy.
2: It's it's really neat, and I as I recalled, the third anniversary is the mixtape anniversary, so it feels appropriate. It though we still as we mentioned earlier. Still had a a fairly full week of TV. We did both manage to carve out a little time to catch up with some of these other series that we've missed over the course of the year. Now, you watched, was it the full run of Awkward?
1: I did, uh, which I have to say was a very easy watch. What's interesting about Awkward, which airs on MTV, by the way, that's Awkward with a period at the end. I'm going to be a stickler about that. (laughs) Um, What's strange about the show is that it's basically the exact halfway point between Suburgatory and Glee, in the sense that it has sort of the bile of glee and sort of the, the modern edge to the to its humor. And it also has a has a bully character that's probably the most sort of distinctive on the show. On the on the other hand, it shares with, with with suburgatory a fifteen year old protagonist who's sort of meant to be a bit of an outcast, but is a little bit too attractive to really be an outcast. Um and also who is who turns sixteen over the course of the first season the difference between them of course is that in the first scene the 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 season actually opens with her losing her virginity in summer camp at the age of 15 which is not something that you would see happen on suburgatory really <laughs> um and yeah it's it's an interesting show I, I i think it has room to improve i do think that the that the most notable element is uh, marley tarlov who plays sadie who is the bully character and, she, and she's a cheerleader but there is a weird pathos to her character that they only occasionally get into, and I think that makes it even more interesting. Um, especially the fact that she's not exactly your typical TV cheerleader in terms of, uh, you know, her, her, let's say, body type, uh, and which is something they also get into, and I found that super interesting. I would like to see them get more into uh, Jenna's friends and what's going on with them in the second season. Wasn't crazy about the plot element of the letter. And who is meant to have written it? If you've seen the pilot, you know what I'm talking about. Um, that didn't really interest me so much, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to be ke- keeping up with it on a weekly basis when it comes back. I guess in January or February it's coming back. Okay. Uh, so I'll I'll uh, do my best to keep up with it.
2: Cool. I yeah I'd have been hearing strong things or positive things from a bunch of different people so it's nice to get that confirmed. Um speaking of shows we all have continually heard are amazing, I am finally starting justified. Uh season 1, I I found the DVDs for the season 1 DVD for like 15 bucks over at at Target the other day. So I I knew Score. I needed Absolutely. Right. That's just over a dollar an episode. I'm sure I will watch these more than once. I'm only (laughs) five episodes in or six. I think I caught the the first disc and just started the second disc the other day. And and of course, I'm loving it. I love Westerns. I love this cast. I I was this, you know, I I also enjoy Elmer Leonard. I haven't read this, uh, the novels that inspired this main character. Uh, But I do enjoy his prose style and and his um, point of view, shall we say. And so it's not a surprise that I really like this show. But it is a surprise to me because I I knew what sort of what to expect from some elements of the show. But I didn't expect Raylan to be as distinct from Seth Bullock, uh, who is Timothy Mm -hmm. elephant's character on Deadwood, as he is. I expected him to be much more similar, but I think Olyphant actually does a really great job of distinguishing... Raylan as his own unique character um and I also didn't I have I've heard great things about their guest cast but I've heard them as you know more of the Walton Goggins longer uh serialized guest cast so the the recurring characters I didn't know that every single episode that I've watched so far has had at least one guest star who's just in it with like a tiny role for half the scenes maybe in the episode probably even fewer uh that That is completely awesome and I, who I love to watch. I, I was talking with you the other day, Simon, about one of the episodes that has Robert Picardo, who I love, and Tony Hale, who I love, and a bunch of other uh, guest guest stars who pop up who I just have always enjoyed as sort of that guy kind of people. So it's I've really enjoyed not only the writing and the lead performances, which I expected, but I've also really loved all of the the minor bit players. So, and as much I've I've gotten a few seasons into the Shield, but I'm only at about season three on that show. So I, I know that Walton Goggins is very good. But in the few scenes that I've gotten to to see him in so far in Justified, he's I think just destroying Timothy Oliphant in almost all of their <laughs> scenes together. And I really like Timothy Oliphant, so that's saying a lot for Walton Goggins. So I'm really looking forward to what's to, for what's to come
1: and I, and i have to ask you since you're a woman how are you enjoying <laughs> ava cuz especially in season 1 i i find ava's just such a great atypical tv female character
2: you know i i do i enjoy her i also enjoy, i enjoy all the female depictions on the show all the different women i feel like they're for the most part they're they're well rounded they are not they they the show walks up to the line with certain clichés and then just backs right away from it or takes a left turn that you're not expecting and I love that he's got an ex-wife but there it's not the stereotypical she's a bitch or it's not the stereotypical I screwed everything up, she's a saint, which is what almost every show seems to do in those situations. But it's a real character and a fully fully formed and developed and yeah, I'm I'm really and Ava too, I, I did not expect a few things to go the way they did as quickly as they did in the show. But you know, and it's also a great example of using the 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 case of the week procedural element. I did not expect it to be anywhere near as procedural as it has been. Six episodes in, I think there's been one subplot has recurred in two episodes, and the rest has all yeah. been completely standalone. But I love. Yeah,
1: don't get used to that.
2: <laughs> well, even you're not
1: going to get much more of that.
2: But it's still it's been they've used the standalone episodes every week to drive the character growth of of their of Raylan who's the main character and they've done it in a very uh intelligent way. So long story mm-hmm. short, lots of rambling. I love justified. I can't wait to watch more of it.
1: Yeah, and I'm I'm excited to hear what you have to say about uh, the rest of the season and then season 2, which is a whole other animal.
2: Yeah, I got to fit that in before our year in review, which is coming up surprisingly <laughs> like next <week>. fast. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but well, speaking of year in review, let's get to our weekend review. Um, on Tuesday, I watched The New Girl, which I know you are not a fan of, or sorry, New Girl, no the. And this one saw was back in uh, sorry bad in bed, which featured Justin Long returning as, as uh as the the love interest or boyfriend, and um you know I think that he works well with Zoe Deschanel um when, at least when they're not going um I think the comedy works but I also I think. They're better when they're, the characters are being sincere. There was some Jimmy Stewart stuff, uh, role play, shall we say, in the episode that uh, was entertaining. But for the most part, um, I think, as ever, the best thing about the show continues to be Schmitz and Max Greenfield. So it's it, it's still not one of, any, by any stretch, the best comedies on television, but I do think it's reliable on people who continue to like or who enjoy. If they find a character that they can sink in with, I think they'll they'll still really enjoy it. And I like this episode. But you didn't watch uh, New Girl, but I just based on your expression right now, uh, let's go ahead and talk some Sons of Anarchy. Two-part finale. I'm
1: hanging my head in shame right now. I know that, and, and it's been a while, so I've kind of mellowed on it a little. <laughs> but I have to say that when I was watching the Sons of Anarchy, the part two of the uh, finale finale, I definitely rolled my eyes a lot and I definitely uttered a lot of expletives. I'm trying to put this another way. It's not a good sign when over the course of like a 45-minute finale, you have four different characters saying in four different ways, "Why are you doing this?" <laughs> it's 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 not Sutter and Company, that's not a good sign. Uh I was not happy with the finale. I was not happy with the way they rolled back so much of the progress that that they that they'd made. With characters and so much of the promise of what they could have done with this finale was uh, totally rolled back from. And I and I, and I know Sutter is very good at rationalizing what he does. And I've read him in interviews making a, a solid case for what he's done. But it did not make for good TV watching. Uh, especially just the Romeo reveal with Denny Trejo at the, at the top of the episode was just shameful. Um, th- there was a couple of interesting things. And I could see how after this they could go interesting places with... Another season but the thing is it's it suffers from the from the that lethal combination of being a highly serialized show and being too popular it's it's just going on way too long they're they're already talking about doing two more seasons maybe three more seasons and that just totally saps the narrative urgency which is exactly what a show like this should be thriving on uh, yeah, I was not happy with this. With the, And it's also too bad because generally I thought it was a huge improvement on the previous season. Uh, but basically they pulled an even worse version of I think what they did in season two where they took a lot of promising stuff and just uh, went, I think, just utterly the wrong way with it. So, yeah, I was. I know uh, we, we have a write-up on the site that is contradictory to what I'm saying. So <laughs> obviously the people feel differently or are more forgiving. I was not happy and – I think it's the sort of situation where I th- I th- I'm think i just going to check back in for maybe, like, the last two or three episodes just to see how things, and I mean of the last season, like, <laughs> so that I know how things, uh, you know, sort of wind down. But I'm not getting suckered back into that again. Sorry, folks.
2: Well, I know. Oh,
1: I'm not happy.
2: <laughs> we, and you definitely have mellowed. That's an accurate term. Uh, since right after this aired, I, I didn't get a chance to, to speak to you, but just reading some, some tweets and some... Uh, Messages uh, for, from you, yeah, you were not happy on Tuesday night. Last week. I'm just glad.
1: I, I'm just glad I backed down from my from my desire to directly tweet Sutter about it because he is a scary dude.
2: <laughs> well, and you mentioned our write up on the site. Merle did a season review or recap for looking at the entirety of season four, and um, he was yes, like as you said, much more positive in as a whole. Uh, but for more than anything else, I think he's excited about where season five can now go or, or the, what he mm-hmm. sees as the potential for season five. Even from the people who like this season, I'm very much hearing a, a, that it's it's still disappointing. It's not as good as they wanted it to be, but maybe next year it'll be different.
1: Yeah. And, and that's I do always that too. To me, so. <laughs> that, that's a warning sign to me when, when a season is over is like, well... This is setting up good stuff for next year. That's, that to me is always a sign that, that, that showrunners have not done a good enough job giving you an exciting season of television. It's not all all supposed to be setting up for the future, folks. You're supposed to be enjoying it as it's happening. Uh, but let's move on so that I don't choke on anything. Uh, <laughs> next up is Suburgatory, I believe.
2: Yes, Wednesday we had our ABC uh, Christmas spectacular with each of their episodes having a Christmas episode. Suburgatory was the Nutcracker, and I liked this episode. Um, it it's focused very much on uh, Tessa's attempts to fix George's love life, or George's attempts to figure out exactly what he wants and and all of that. And uh, though my favorite is. I I still got to say my favorite bit of the episode was Allie Grant's and her line in the teaser about how she wants clothes. just her delivery of that (laughs) line. She doesn't want homemade gifts the way they do, you know, because Tessa thinks it's really cool. And she's, no, it's not. I want clothes.
1: Allie Grant is so clearly the show's MVP, and she so clearly does not get enough to do. Uh, Even just little things, like when... um, like when Tessa puts her out in the cold and, uh, and, and tells her what the plan is. She's like, yeah, let's try that. <laughs> just just every every time she gets a punchline, she just nails it. I, I think she's absolutely one of the most underrated supporting players of this season of TV. Uh, other than that, I thought it was a fairly average episode. I wasn't really crazy ab- about the them Asians be crazy stuff. Uh, not Not exactly a great look. Um, I, I thought the I thought they pulled off the women be crazy stuff a little bit better, um, but yeah, not necessarily the most sophisticated routes to to to, to the laughs this yeah. week. Um, they also finally pulled the trigger on the whole um, George and
2: Dallas
1: and and yes, and and Dallas, uh, you know, sort of simmering thing. Which okay, fine. I, I don't think anyone was waiting with bated breath for that.
2: Yeah. After that, there was Modern Family, which I assume, did. You, you didn't You did watch that one, yes? You've given up? No,
1: I didn't. Okay. No, I, I, if if I have nothing else to do, I'll watch it. But I had a lot to do this week, as you can probably tell.
2: Yeah. So they had Express Christmas, which was... they All the characters found out that they weren't actually going to be together for the holidays... And so they decided to put on Christmas in a day and that was the the, the setup and then everybody splintered off. Um, the the two main takeaways I had or I guess the three main takeaways I had from it is first of all there was an incredibly blatant Target commercial that really actually pissed me off. Uh, started out just kind of irking me, but the more as the episode continued, even though they did use it cleverly, it just started to piss me off. Uh I enjoyed uh, watching them channel the super shopping abilities of the eldest daughter. I thought that that played nicely. And I also liked seeing Mitchell and Alex together because they I don't think they've spent very much time together, um, just with just the two of them. So it was nice to see that combination. But it's a, it's a bad sign when, I would say, the show MVP, uh, uh, Ty Burrell, doesn't work in an episode and he had this sequence of of getting um stun gunned that just it went on far too long and it stopped being funny and i mean he's doing his best with it but yeah so when phil doesn't work for you in an episode it's probably not a good sign about the episode um also the you the glass has been broken for me to reference how i met your mother about the way that every episode ends. And so now I'm noticing it, and it's starting to bug me. So I'm feeling, though though it wasn't a bad episode of Modern Family, I'm uh, starting to feel less and less enamored of it as a whole... After Modern Family, we had Happy Endings uh, and Grinches Be Crazy, which I think is an entertaining title. I I enjoyed it. Um, this was again the the Happy Endings Christmas episode, and I, I actually really liked a lot of it. the the There are the two main ideas, or three actually, was Max as Santa with, and he was paired up with Penny, uh, and because of course he still hates children, so that was that was a fun one to watch. Brad and Jane are going to. Turks and Caicos, K- but they accidentally tip their, their house, uh, her their maid, um, their vacation money, their grand of vacation money or two grands or something, as opposed to the 200 bucks they intend to give her, so then they have to try to get it back. It's very sitcommy, but I think they managed to make it work. But my favorite of the storylines was was Alex and Dave's, which featured Dave calling Alex out for always giving people coupon books that she knows they're never going to cash in for Christmas, and so uh, he uh, he cashes in every single coupon that he has outstanding from her over over the years, and so it's a this, this series of of uh, bizarre and strange little things such as have a beach party inside and uh i think she has to organize this closet and dj a a dinner that she makes and some other other things like that so it and because i'm one of those people i love coupon books and i wish that i'm really hoping my sister gives me one this year because there are a few things that would be totally awesome to get on a little coupon sticker such as i will clean your car that would be awesome Um, So I enjoyed that particular element to the story, and I'm nice to see that I'm not the only one who does the coupon book thing, even though I don't really give that out, but I like to receive those. Do you do coupon books for Christmas ever?
1: I have no idea what you're talking about.
2: Oh, really? I have
1: never heard of this phenomenon in my life. Oh, yeah, you make I, up, fact, like a like coupon,
2: I'm... like, good for, you know, one free, I will do the dishes, or I will do your laundry, or I will take your dog to the park, or uh, I, I will give I, you I, a 30-minute ab- back rub, or whatever. I, I
1: don't approve of this phenomenon at all. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like it. <laughs>
2: Well, no. it's 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 the old standard father's day gift, right? Of, uh I'll clean the car or I'll do other things like that. But anyway, so that that was the part of the episode that I enjoyed. And uh I think uh <laughs> Santa stopping and mugging and and coupon books equals a good Christmas episode for me. Then on Wednesday there was also State of Play, which began it's it's 6 week, I believe, run on Drama of Dramaville on BBC America. Now, State of Play is, of course, the fantastic British miniseries from seven years ago. Um, I think two thousand four, maybe two thousand six. It's it's a while back, and I missed it when it was on the first time, so I was very excited to get to watch it um, this time. It has a fantastic cast, an interesting plot and uh, or story storyline, and I'm really enjoying it. Though I've I've heard from from Corey that apparently it's edited or it's probably there's some scenes cut out because the original episodes are all just about an hour long, whereas now they're about, I think, 45 with without commercials. So I'm curious if anybody knows about that definitively who watched the original and watched the re-airing. They would let me know if that's something that I should be worried about or if it's pretty much the same. Have you seen State of Play?
1: I haven't. I've always been meaning to. I mean, the cast is ridiculous. I mean, you've got John Sim and Kelly McDonald and Bill Nai and all these great, uh, you know, Phil, Philip Glenister, all these great uh, British character actors. Uh, so I, I've, I've been meaning to. It's one of those things. Like, well, I, I, I keep suggesting that we that we uh, we keep meaning to add a, uh, a recurring thing where we old, watch old mini series that we mean to watch, and we, you know, that's the thing about meaning to do things is that you don't quite do them. But uh, hopefully, we will. I mean, I, I we uh, we recorded a show on the film of Tinker Taylor uh, just yesterday. And that really uh, re, re-stoked my urge to see the original uh, Alec Guinness series. But uh, I do so. But it had, did it live up to the hype based on the first installment or what?
2: Yes. Yes, it did. And it had a lot of hype to live up to. So uh, I thought it was very well done. And um, mm. I'm, I'm looking forward to where it's headed. Uh, I think there's a lot of potential. So, yeah. Excellent. Yeah.
1: Uh, next up, I believe we have Top Chef.
2: Yes, Top chef, Texas, and for me, annoying editing was my, my biggest takeaway. I hate when they start lying to me with the editing. Uh, what did you think about that? Uh,
1: what what exactly are you thinking of?
2: Oh, well, is whenever they go to the judges and at the judging, they say, "Well, there's clearly one person who needs to go home." When that person who clearly needs to go home is a surprise, that's a problem for me, because that means that the editing has been intentionally misleading you. So, from everything the editing, and, and everything they showed us in this episode, made it seem that clearly the person to go home was the person who messed up the steak, because the steak wasn't the most important thing. And then the judges say that there's clearly one person who needs to go home, oh, and it's the other person who's been mentioned a few times, but hasn't been getting covered at all.
1: I disagree, actually. I, it would, I or at least maybe if they were trying to engineer a surprise, it didn't work because I kind of felt that the person who I mean steaks or otherwise, I felt like the person who basically gave out you know crappy and edible food should be you know categorically the person who goes home. And frankly, I, I've made undercooked potatoes au gratin. All right, like I know how nasty that is to eat. <laughs> uh, you, I think most people who have attempted it have done it at least once. Uh, it's not pleasant. So I, personally, I wasn't surprised when we heard that one of them, one 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 of the judges, basically got it raw, and that's nasty. So I mean, that didn't really surprise me. Um, this week we had uh, more more Beverly being a little bit annoying. Uh, I I, th- I think the the issue with with this season is that there aren't really too many people who are memorable. I do like yeah. Grayson, and I was happy to see her get a win this week. She's one of the only people who's like exceedingly pleasant to be around uh several of the of, of the others are actively annoying but nobody's really fiendish i don't know there there aren't too many personalities and i have to wonder how much uh, you know colicchio made, made a mention of i'm beginning to wonder if we pick the right 16 chefs and i wonder in in how many senses he was thinking it
2: <laughs> yeah it's that's my biggest takeaway i think on this season so far is that no one has really distinguished themselves. I think Beverly seems to be one of the more competent, because she seems to be fairly consistently doing well, as much as she's annoying. Um, but on the on the most part, there nobody... Er, what made me really like Top Chef when I first started watching it in the first season was how clearly competent most of the people were, and then also that there was clearly a few people who this was really between. You could tell, and and that's happened in several of of the seasons, and usually the seasons that where there are a few people who, are, are you can tell are really good. They're really good at this, uh, and then it's pretty much just down to those people and maybe a maybe a dark horse. Those are the seasons that I find the most interesting. Um, what's pop, popping into mind is of course the season with the uh the Voltaggio brothers and and I believe it was Kevin, no Keith. I'm not remembering who the third person was that year, but it was a really great competition. This year, it seems like there are a lot of people who are going from the top to the bottom to the top, back and forth. And nobody really seems like is it, the the strongest person of this season doesn't feel like they would be competition for the medium, the middling contestants in previous seasons.
1: Well, and I wonder if it's just a, a symptom of of all these chefs having watched Top Chef too much. Like, yeah. it, it seems like they're all trying to be strategic and being really you know, playing coy and trying to be smart and trying not to to try not to make too many waves especially like especially Beverly who's like you know doing quite well because she is very careful to do her thing do it well mm-hmm. you know be bossy if she has to and not take any chances which is you know it's smart but it's boring and yeah. it's it you need more people who are more interested in being great chefs than in being good on a TV reality show So I think, to me, that that's the main issue. And and maybe also it's just sort of a blandness of character overall.
2: So after that uh, lack of character, perhaps, or lack of interest in characters, we had, I would say, a lot of them on Thursday. And let's start off with Community, which had its, I guess, fall finale and question mark of when the next episode's going to air. I think you are... I think we're pretty much on the same page, but it strikes me you're a little more positive on this one than I am. So, so what did you think?
1: Um, I I want to start off with a controversial statement, and uh, I'm not trying to be a dick, but it's true. It it just is. I don't care that much if community comes back. Is my thing. Uh, I you know I like this episode just fine. I'm happy that the show has has you know tremendous fans, but. I think almost everyone involved in, in the, in the making of the show can do better. That being said, I thought this was a fine episode. The, the, I, in, in fact, I think the main problem with this episode, uh, Ricky and I were talking about this just the other day, is that it was, a. I mean, this was the, the, the really big glee bashing episode and it was a little bit too much like actually watching glee.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's an interesting way way to put it uh, because my, my biggest problem with this episode uh is the music and how how much of it seemed to go on far too long. And that is a, a common problem that I have with the Glee songs. Too many of them seem to go on for too long. Um, I think that with this episode, I can see very much your overall complaint with Community this season, which has been that it's focused on being clever more than on being funny. And for me, the things that worked in this episode were... Pretty much everything that wasn't sung, I loved the the Glee teacher we got. I loved the the bits we the very small bit with Chang and then with uh with the Dean, and uh, and some of the smaller character moments. But most of the songs I didn't particularly like, and I didn't think they were that funny. Or if they were funny, they started out funny and then they just kept going. And if you're gonna if you're gonna do a musical episode of a TV show, granted I picky on these things, but but if you're going to do a musical episode of a TV show, two things you need to happen. You need to have good music, not just, oh, yeah, it's clever or it's they're saying funny things but they can't sing. You need to have good music, well-written songs by themselves, outside of the context of the show, but then it also needs each of the songs and the music needs to progress the story and the plot and that didn't happen. Neither one of those things happened this week.
1: Yeah, I, I would say that's true And uh, this episode also reminded me of Donald Glover's rap career Which, I know, some more real talk while we're at it Donald Glover is not a good rapper I'm sorry, I know his album sold really well last week He uh, He's not good If Kids, uh, you kids out there, you like 20,000 people who bought his record Go listen to some real rap music Don't listen to it just because it's a guy in a sitcom It's not good enough Anyway, moving on.
2: The The rap song wasn't anywhere. though. That was one of the ones that felt like it went on the longest. Uh, though, I, like as I mentioned this to you, it would have been saved for me if the Dean had randomly showed up and just busted it out in the last verse or something. I think that would have been hilarious. But, but while that one seemed to go on far too long, the biggest problems I had musically was, first of all, Annie's song, which was terrible, and I just oh. felt... I felt Oof. so bad for for Allison Bree I mean it was an entertaining concept and but but the thing is when you have a song which is intentionally designed to be sung poorly, you don't shouldn't make it go on that long, and she was going for it with with gusto, but I just felt bad for her and then the other musical thing that I have is that. Why do you give that, this a long song to the, the rap, which went on too long, and then Annie's song, which really went on too long, and then not give a song to the person who is by far your best singer? I would have loved to hear Shirley actually sing for a while because she has a, a, a lovely voice, and it just felt really strange and very much like a wasted opportunity. Mm-hmm. Though I should mention Britta's dance at the end was hilarious.
1: Oh, Br- Brita's whole bit, I think, was easily the, the highlight of the episode. Yeah. Uh, I also felt bad for for Alison Brie. They, they, again, speaking of, you know, too much of, a, of of doing something too well, you know, they gave her a song that was annoying and grating and creepy, and it was too annoying and grating and creepy, and also Yes Long. Um, anyway, I've said my piece on Community. Whether it returns or not, I am ambivalent. I assume you want it back.
2: Yes, I do. I I like the show I think they can do a lot of really good stuff with it I, I'm sure we'll get it back I don't know if we'll get another season but I look forward to when the final 10 episodes or whatever it is air um, but next we had Parks and Rec with Citizen Nope and this is the only episode this week that I watched twice because I, I sat down and watched it with my sister later and um, I really liked it what did, what did you think?
1: Uh, I liked it as well um, I, I confess that I got a little bit teary Mm-hmm. at the at the last scene um they've really been pushing the sentimental aspect of the show quite strongly over these last four or five weeks which is i don't know, I don't know if it's their their strongest suit but it's a good suit that they have um and that's made for a, a set of uh, fairly solid episodes uh especially it, because they're very very adept at intermingling that sentimentality with humor which is really hard to do and they're particularly good at it uh, especially in terms of the gift giving over the course of the episode which was which was fantastic especially uh leslie's gift for ron was just fantastic <laughs> um as yeah was his th-
2: reaction to it just it was
1: perfect <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah um yeah i thought it was uh, it was another as i as i've said before i i don't think that they're quite hitting the highs of last season but that doesn't change the fact that it's been consistently very enjoyable. And it's just such a, such a great cast to just hang out with and spend time with and a great setting.
2: Well, and when you have these shows that are comedies, but then over as they age, become increasingly sentimental, I would say you could see that very much in the offices, early seasons and, and arc and where they took their, some of their relationships. The thing that you have to be careful of is when you're adding in the more sentimental moments to still be funny and it sounds simple, but it's it's really really not. Most shows can't do both, and so while you we do have this very touching moment at the end, it's still a, a very funny episode throughout. So uh, I, I let's see. I really liked the all the gifts were fantastic, and I love that it's a competitive sport to her, but that she's not you know, like mean about it the way that on so many shows it seems to be. People are spiteful if they get out gifted. Yeah. And so I like you know. that it, there there's none of that. I uh I I liked I liked the Ben becoming an accountant for accountants and John Ralphio, mm-hmm. that interaction oh, every, was nice.
1: Everything everything with John Ralphio this week was amazing, especially his tag at the end of the episode, that one <laughs> shot around the office. Fantastic. Yeah. Um and I and I think that also the what what excites me is that the prospect of having the whole cast running Leslie's campaign I think is a really smart move. I think it sets up a lot of comic possibilities. Uh, so hats off to Michael uh, Schur and company for figuring that one out.
2: Well, and it integrates Anne into the, the gang with, with yes. very logically, and it, it will work well. I Speaking of that, I was very glad that they didn't include Ben in that. I was expecting something like that to happen, but I was expecting Ben would make himself her campaign manager, and I was very glad that that, I, even like in the scene, I was waiting for him to walk back in the door, you know, whenever they panned to her. Um, and so I'm glad that they're not having him define himself through his relationship with her. And I think it's really smart. And so we'll see what direction that goes. And I like that it's a question mark. And then the, uh, the final thing I want to mention, just the, <laughs> the, uh, the, 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 the quick cut to the silver on Andy's lips. With the M and <laughs> yeah. and Anne's go throw up. I thought was was pretty great. Also, of course, Leslie's word cloud is available online. You can see a blown up image of that and actually take a look at it. And so I thought that was fun too.
1: Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was a, a a very fine episode. Speaking of episodes that I thought were very fine, and you may or may not disagree, always sunny. Uh, the we got the first part of their two part finale, the high school reunion. Next week is apparently the gang's revenge. Uh, and I I, th- I thought this was actually better than the last couple of episodes. I love the. I mean, and I. I, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I. You may or may not have some gaps in your always sunny viewing. I do. So so it's possible that there were things in the episode you didn't quite get as much of a kick out of, but they there were probably a dozen callbacks to stuff throughout the entire series. The Hornets in this episode. Uh, Yeah, that in particular uh, was great, Um, and I thought it was quite rewarding for a long time viewer because they tend not to really have too many callbacks to older episodes. Uh, so it was nice to see some of that stuff carry over. Uh, I thought it was really funny in general. We also probably got the waitress's real name, which yeah. was interesting. wasn't expecting that little. I mean, it wasn't you know a huge deal, but it was nice a nice little uh, little droplet of information for longtime fans. Why not? Um, in, in, a, in a weird way, it kind of felt like like it, this could be the last season because it was such a because they mm-hmm. were tying so much stuff together. But uh, clearly, that's not the case. I think they're on for two more at least. Um but yeah what did you think?
2: Um I was actually rather disappointed in it. I didn't think it was very funny at all and I thought it was incredibly predictable. Um it it felt very similar to pretty much every high school reunion episode of a show that you see. Um everybody fell back into their their roles when they were in high school and and uh certain things got turned around but then it immediately you know it just it felt uh very much something I've seen before, and I do think that the the uh, things we got with um, like the horn the hornets and rickety crickets and uh, some of these other callbacks I think were my favorite bits of the episode. But I'm really hoping that uh, next week will um, will be one of those situations where the second part of the two parter makes the first part funnier um, once you see the I, whole picture. But I, don't know, uh, I, have
1: to, I I have to say I was a I was a huge fan of D. Enjoying her newfound power, which she which she never really has. I don't know. I thought that that was all really well done. And I feel like funny. I've seen
2: that from her on this show before. Not you know. So I I don't know. For I'm glad that you liked it, of course. But uh, I just mm-hmm. kind of kept waiting for it to be funny, and then I don't know. We'll see. I I I really I think this has been a really strong season of of Always Sunny, though. I do think the first half of the season is probably stronger than the second half. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I really want it to go out on a high note because for right now I'm making up my t- best of the year list, and Always Sunny is pretty darn high for me. So mm-hmm. I hope to be able to be justified in that estimation and not be disappointed in the way it ends.
1: Fair enough. So if I'm not mistaken, now we finally get to do our
2: fairy tale face off. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
1: uh, so, yeah, we've been waiting for weeks for for a, for a week when both Grimm and Once Upon a Time air, and it just keeps not happening. And this week it finally happened uh, doubly so. We actually got two episodes of Grimm and an episode of Once Upon a Time. I guess that's not quite doubly, but anyway, I'm going to stop being nerdy. Um, mm-hmm. So first off, we had two episodes of Grimm. First episode was the Pied Piper themed episode. Second was the big bad wolf, uh, which uh, how, how did you feel about what the Pied Piper episode? I ask you specifically because it had a violinist theme, which I'm sure you were very excited about.
2: <laughs> I like that they did the Pied Piper. I thought it was an interesting one to go, go for. Um, and I was much more positive on this episode um, until I read Kath, Kath's review of it at, at, up at SunOutside.org And, it kind of, it, her, in reading her review, I it just sort of, oh, that's right. They didn't even address all the really interesting things about the Pied Piper. They just ignored all of that and took the one element of it and made an okay episode. But there's a lot of missed potential there. Um, as far as the violin playing goes, um, I really like the scene we got between the, the Piper character and Monroe. I thought that was great and a nice little showcase for um, Silas, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so I thought he was really great As far as the actual playing goes The long shots were good, the close-ups were good The actor did a pretty good job of when they were just showing his face Of having that be fairly, you know, not as terrible as it often is But any of the times when Or, or of course they actually had a violinist doing the fingers but, but the biggest thing with something like this When you're trying to look like you're actually playing the in- instrument The biggest giveaway is always the body posture and it looked like somebody who had never even touched a violin before. So,
1: Kate, have you ever considered being a fingerer for television?
2: No, the fingerer that they got was great. The problem was they needed somebody to tell them that you need to have your shoulders rolled back, a tall posture, and no, the I, I'm, wrists I'm just down, saying, or you can't play the violin.
1: <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm sure they can always use more fingerers.
2: Yeah, I'm just going to leave that just, one, that just one alone. Just throwing that out
1: there. <laughs> the, but, uh, I,
2: I like the... the, the the rave thing was fine, and the cat uh, head I thought was kind of cool, and the rats were creepy. So,
1: well, the cat head was—you—you uh, you, you don't follow non-classical music as as much as I do. That was obviously Dead Mouse. He's a popular dance guy, anyway. He wears a big mouse head, anyway. Kind of dumb. Um, yeah, This—I I wasn't as—I I preferred the second episode to the first, mostly because the climax to this episode was I just thought laughable. Mm Uh, and also I was throughout the whole first three quarters of the episode, I was thinking, oh, you know, they have, they have him being a dance DJ and they have him as a classical violinist. It's cool that they haven't attempted any dumb mashups or like weird (laughs) collisions. And then in the climax, they they totally did that. And it was horrible. Uh, so that was unfortunate, um, I did like the second episode a little better, which was big bad wolf themed.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I don't know. Do you agree that it was a little stronger?
2: Yeah, I mean, there were certain things about it that were bugging that bugged me. Uh, I didn't like how clearly uh, f- uh, foreshadowed, not even foreshadowed, just telegraphed um, certain things were in the episode, such as Hap getting killed the instant that they leave. It just felt, you know, really obvious. I was actually a little disappointed. I didn't see the reveal of who the Schwein was coming because I was really hoping that that actor was going to recur because I, I enjoy him. And so I was hoping he would be around and that they could keep going back to him. Um, but uh, in general, and it was also so obvious they weren't going to catch or kill Angelina because they want to be able to bring her back later as a recurring mm-hmm. thing. But um, I, I, it felt very much like a retread of the Queen Bee episode we got earlier this season,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, and that was a bit disappointing. But still, as I was saying, anytime you get they let the the actor whose name escapes me at the moment who plays Monroe get more to do, it's it's a good thing for the show. So,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, again, I thought this episode suffered from having a lackluster last last act in general. Um, I, I think the, the show's do, trying its hardest to really flesh out its world. I think unfortunately for me I'm not finding its it's wider sort of dynamics and what's going on between the grims and the beasties or whatever they're, they're calling them <laughs> I I've, I've lost track. Uh I'm not really finding that dynamic all that interesting. The idea that you know the that the pigs are finally taking out their revenge on the on the wolves is sort of interesting. The show's association between pigs and cops was <laughs> surprisingly outré, uh and I'm I promised myself I wouldn't make any comments about the NYPD, the LAPD or Boston PD, uh, especially now. So I won't, <clears throat> mm-hmm. but uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, other than that, I thought it was, uh, y- y- you know, relatively passively entertaining while I'm watching it. Um, but yeah, not, not the most memorable TV on earth.
2: Now let's compare that with this week's episode of once upon a time. What, this was the hard lonely hunter. And we got to find out about the huntsman. So what did you think?
1: Uh, this is the first time I've watched Once Upon a Time in a few weeks. I mean, it, did, it wasn't exactly hard to catch up on what's going on in the show. It's not uh, It's not necessarily written by polymaths. Um, this is not for me. I'm just going to go out and, and say that this is not a show written for Simon Howell, and that's fine. Um, it's just I, I have a hard time with shows that are so oriented around uh, around romantic love all the time. And sort of the dynamics of that, especially when it's a very simple depiction of romantic love, uh, I get very bored with that very quickly. So, and the, and you know, sort of throwing those dynamics into like this losty flashback, flash forward structure doesn't really make it any more interesting. So, uh, I have to say for me, Grimm wins the fairy tale face off uh, fairly handily, even though I'm not the biggest fan of that either.
2: What I thought was interesting about this episode, um, well, a couple of things. First of all, I thought it was interesting how certain elements of the episode were. I thought very well written and handled, and then others were just terrible. Uh, the, the The opening sequence we get with the the queen and and snow, and and at the at the funeral, and then the the evil queen goes back and is talking to her mirror or Gus, late lamented Gus. Yeah. Um, and uh, says. And and first of all, makes it obvious that uh she is does not like Snow and is the one who who killed the 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 dad. She makes that incredibly obvious in her performance and her line delivery. And then says, "I've killed the dad. Next, I'm going to kill Snow." I was like, "Why would you?" Seriously, the the writer wrote that, and then the actor said that, and the director directed the actor to say that, mm-hmm. and then the editor left it in.
1: My, my, Why would my, you do that? My favorite line of the episode is, "What should I call you? Shall I just call you the Huntsman?" <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, Huntsman. Uh, yeah, there's some pretty terrible things. No, no, no. the going. Huntsman. No, no, but then the she, right after that, she says, "Okay, Huntsman, you can do this." So like she. Yeah, there's the she dialogue given yeah. to the queen is just, and I do think that the performance is pretty solid, but some of the dialogue is, is not good. What I would be interested in seeing would be the version of this show that's on like Showtime at ten o'clock or or eleven o'clock Eastern, and because uh, I feel like there were some interesting things going on with the Huntsman character. I got the the impression we were supposed to read into the fact of him as more of like a, a an emotionless sex addict. But they didn't actually want to go there because it's on it's on Disney or ABC, which is owned by mm-hmm. Disney. And so I think there could, so could have been some really interesting things that they could have developed there, but instead they uh, had to back away from it.
1: I don't know. It kind of felt like if it was on Showtime or something, it would just end up like that Joan of Arc TV movie we heard about. On on Good (laughs) Wife this week, which we're gonna get there later. It it just—it just seemed like the idea is like either you portray them innocently and it's boring, or you portray them like sleazily and it's boring in a different way. Uh, It's—it's boring in a way that'll entertain twelve-year-old boys. Um, (laughs) I'm not sure the ideas floating around are all that interesting. Um, So yeah, not really working for me. I don't think I'm gonna, unless I hear drastic changes, I don't think I'm gonna
2: uh,
1: worry too much about giving it another shot.
2: Yeah, I would say, I guess, I don't know which one I like better because there are elements of each that I enjoy and then there are elements of each that make me roll my eyes and kind of want to stop watching. So I think for me, it's a draw right now and we'll see where the season ends up. Um, Fair enough. We also had on Sunday the finale of The Amazing Race. Um, And my spoiler alert, just in case, because I did have this spoiled for me by by a random person on Twitter. Um, Ernie and Cindy won, and my mom won her office pool because she went all in on them for the finale, so she was very happy about that. But, How much uh, did, did she you... win? Oh, they don't play for money. What? You have an office pool for no money? What kind of an it's office is that? It's for funsies. And, and, <sighs> well, it's her buddies from the gym, so it's not, I guess it's not really an office pool. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Anyways, what did you think <laughs> of this finale? Uh, it was it was
1: fine. I think it it became fairly obvious midway through uh, what was going to happen, which I, I'm sure the producers and the editors weren't very happy about. Um, and and they did everything they could to sort of goose some try to goose some tension out of it, like oh the cab is going the wrong way for a like a minute. <laughs> like, um, but uh, other, other than that, it was it was fine. Uh, Marcus's like meltdown in the in the flight simulation was a little bit heartbreaking. Uh, especially because I feel like that's what I would do in that situation. It's just like I can't land a plane. The fact that that Ernie got it in one shot was insane. Oh no,
2: no, no! Ernie got it in two. Jerry oh, got sorry, it
1: that's one. right. Yeah, Jerry got. But still, that was that was nuts. Um, yeah. I thought some of the clues that they had to piece together were very arcane, uh, mm-hmm. but you know that's par for the course for the show. Um, you yeah, know, it was it was it was a fine finale. Nothing too offensive, but I didn't think there's anything too exciting either.
2: I was surprised by how well each of the teams managed the there's no one thing um, at at Margaret Mitchell's house I was expecting that to really stall people Um, but I think you're absolutely right there was there was very as soon as Jeremy and Sandy went to the wrong place um, there was no suspense. And that's part of why it didn't bother me too much to be spoiled uh, ahead of time. Um, but uh, it does remind me of what, something they had to change because, of course, the first Amazing Race, the team who won, won by over a day um, mm-hmm. because they didn't have those, like, catch-up points, you know? Uh, and so in, that's so they had to change the show because they realized it was just going to continue to be the teams who were... Just who worked better together were more successful would just destroy the other teams, and I felt like that's kind of what happened here. While the mistake that Jeremy and Sandy made was understandable, and at least it you know the place they went was called the dump, and you know it's one that I could see people making. And while Marcus's uh, trouble with with the the simulator is understandable as well, there wasn't any stupid mistakes really. Um, Ernie and Cindy have been much more reliable over the course of the entire season, so it was not surprising that they had won. I would be very much interested to see that same uh, that same set of challenges, but with the three teams that were succeeding for most of the seasons, the snowboarders and the grandparents and Ernie and Cindy. I think that would have made for a much more interesting final leg. I will say, though, that I liked the twist on the memory Thing at the end, and I like that they're not allowed to use their notes because that has become too easy of a challenge in the past several seasons. Because people know to write everything down, but I thought that was cool.
1: Uh, yeah, although they they did it a little too easily. I think they would have liked them to have had a harder time, but it was actually mm-hmm. it actually ended up being fairly simple. I think one yeah. person made one mistake, like that was yeah. pretty much it.
2: But yes, that's the race. Uh, before we move on, sorry. Um, so do you think you will watch any Amazing Race in the future, or do you think uh, it's not for you?
1: Uh, if you're watching it, I'll watch it. I'll okay. uh, if 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 next season comes around, we're both still alive. I will uh, <laughs> consider following it with you. And cool. hey, maybe Good we temps. should maybe we should uh, submit an audition tape. We can be the first podcasters.
2: <laughs> well, actually, the the guy from Je- Jeff Kanata uh, submitted himself with one of his friends, and they have actually a really cool uh, application video. So I'm hoping that they get accepted for the next race because it would be a lot of fun to to root for them. So if you want, you can check out their application video. It's on YouTube, but. We would not be the first podcasters. I'm sorry, ah, <laughs> assuming well. they get picked. Now, now, on on Sunday, we also had the Good Wife back again. It's I'm going to be sad to see it go, um, mm-hmm. in in December here. But what did you think of what went wrong?
1: I thought it was a fine episode. I think that like, you know it's sort of in line with most of what they've done lately. Solid. No, and this is the curse of the Good Wife is that it's usually it, it's it's pretty much the safest bet on TV, and that's. And that sounds like an awful thing to say because, you know, TV is supposed to be built on spectacle and, you know, especially, you know, TV that gets talked about. And the thing with The Good Wife is that it's so consistently smart and well-written and well-acted that after a while you get, you almost get bored of it. <laughs> like Just like, <laughs> oh, what, what when are you going to kick it up or be terrible? And they rarely do either, really. Um, yeah, I thought it was, I mean, the whole idea of um, sort of... Exploring the jury dynamics was interesting. I really like Kurt Fuller. Uh, I think he might yeah. be one of my very favorite guest judges. Um, the other aspects, uh, you know, here and there were interesting. Uh, but, you know, again, another solid episode of The Good Wife. Damn you. <laughs>
2: yes it does continue to be very strong i like all the baby steps we got in the relationships this week i thought it was an interesting case of the week and something they haven't done before so that was interesting as well doing the jury notification route um but i liked the the baby steps we get with kalinda i like what we get as the potential with diane and i like seeing uh Side of of Chris of Peter that we haven't seen for a while. We saw that Peter a lot in season one, and he hasn't been showing that face to mm-hmm. Alicia recently. So it was nice to be reminded that there's a reason that she left him, and it's not just because he cheated on her. Um, and I also like the parallel then that we get uh, between Peter and Will, and yeah. seeing that she clearly has a thing for for nice guys with a dark streak to them. So mm-hmm. we'll see where that goes. I like the, the twist. I don't know if it's a real twist with Wendy Scott Carr. I've been enjoying Anika Nani Rose um, on the show. And so we'll, we'll see where that where that goes.
1: Oh, I, I'm assuming that Peter's going to get in trouble for what he's doing. Uh, yeah. I, at least it did like something that they were going to carry on with. And I'm hoping that he does. Cause it was a real dick move. <laughs> um at least and illegal at worst um yeah. and yeah it was nice to see the sort of shark aspect and it come back especially in a week when we got will sort of dodging that side of himself and or he you know sort of evading that possibility it's nice mm-hmm. it, it was nice to see that yeah he's not a total dick and peter's not a saint either um at all so yeah. that that was a nice reminder
2: what did you think of Carrie and the prosecution, and then that as it related to uh, uh, Kalinda?
1: Uh, I didn't really think too much about that. Like I, as I said before, I, I don't think the Kalinda stuff is the most interesting this uh, this year. It was nice to see her think. Uh, it, we we sort of get the dynamic with her and Alicia, and when she quote unquote rescued uh, her daughter. Uh, I, I didn't find any of that stuff too much to think about, really.
2: I hear what you're saying. I really enjoyed the scene we got with Alicia and Carrie, and uh, I, I thought that was a lot of fun to watch, but I also like the position. It feels like Carrie's being put in, because I do think he has this um, respect and, and trust for Kalinda, and, and even a respect for Lockhart Gardner, where he doesn't necessarily like them, because they didn't hire him, but he I don't think he believes that they're dirty, and so I like him being put in this position that we're seeing him in, which I assume will only become exacerbated as the case against uh, will continues, or air quotes will continues.
1: Yeah, he's sort of caught in between a few forces at uh, at one moment, and yeah, and, I, and I'm definitely interested to see where uh, Matt Zuccari takes that that part over the over the rest of the season because he's been just great.
2: Yeah. Now um, on Sunday we also had one of the most. Uh, I would say anticipated pilots we've had in a very long time, and that is Luck, which is the new the new series from David Milch, and of course fans of his, you know, TV fans will know him as the creator of Deadwood. And yes, Mario, I know what you said on Twitter, but you really should watch Deadwood. Um, and as well, what did as he several- say on Twitter? He doesn't want to watch it because he knows that the last season it ends abruptly. Not an excuse. Watch Deadwood.
1: Watch Deadwood. And he
2: likes Justified, so he should totally watch it. Um, but I respect your choice to not even as much I as don't. I disagree with it.
1: I don't respect <laughs> that choice.
2: <laughs> Anyways, um, so David Melch has created several of the most acclaimed series in television uh, history, and his latest is Luck. So, uh, And and all star cast to boot. So, what did you think of the pilot?
1: Yeah, expectations were ridiculous for this. I mean, also directed by Michael Mann, who's a producer on it as well. You've got Dustin Hoffman, who's never done series television before. Uh, I don't think Nick Nolte has either. Um, also got people like Richard Kind and Jill Hennessy. Not a big deal, but it's nice to see her back in TV mm-hmm. at all. Dennis um, Farina. Dennis Farina, yeah. Lots of people. Uh, for me personally, uh, Deadwood's like my favorite show of all time. I, I actually skipped John from Cincinnati, although I know it has its Defenders. Um, so I really did not know if it was going to be more like that or more like Deadwood. Um, I think it's a strong pilot. I don't Does it knock it out of the park 100% of the time? I don't think so, but it has a lot to do. You've got to set up this very... I mean, it's about horse racing. It's about the world of horse racing. It's a very idiosyncratic universe. Uh, you've got probably about 20 characters to introduce that are extremely varied, uh, although most of them are men. Uh, so you, you need to establish sort of this the... The literal stakes, as well as you know, sort of the stakes for some of the non-gambling characters. Uh, you've got a lot of history to establish, a lot of personalities. You have to establish what the physicality of of horse racing is like, and you know what's what's going on with the jockeys, what's going on with the horses as well. You learn a lot about the you know, about the maintenance of horses in in one 60 sixty-minute block of television, including the importance of shitting. Uh, <laughs> go figure. Uh, so all that considered. I think uh Milch and Mann did a really good job setting up this universe, and I'm very curious to see where it's headed.
2: The pilot doesn't knock it out of the park uh, as much as I would have hoped, and I was at first disappointed, but the more I think on it, I think pleasantly surprised to see how limited um, several of the roles are that I assumed would be more prominent. Of course, key amongst that is is uh, um, is Dustin Hoffman, I was pleasantly surprised to see Carrie Condon, I believe is her name, uh, as one of the jockeys. I really en- enjoyed her on Rome as Octavia. And a few of the the smaller people, of course, Jill Hennessy. Somehow, when you have a series and Jill Hennessy is not even mentioned anywhere in the casting, you know it's a prominent cast. Because mm-hmm. um, she's been a star on television for quite a while.
1: She does get, like, the best entrance in recent TV history, <laughs> I will say.
2: Um... But the biggest surprises for me, overall positive and negative, were those elements of the cast were some of my favorites, and the energy. You're absolutely right. The energy they capture at the racetrack, I think, is really fantastic. With the, the with the horses running specifically, I thought was was great. Um, I was a little surprised by how how um, obvious and crappy really for a lack of a better word a few of the lines of dialogue were in in the uh in the pilot particularly a few early ones we get with dustin hoffman's character just really uh, there's some line about um no you own that horse or or something like where there it becomes clear that while the limo driver has purchased the horse he's it's a it's a ruse so that Dustin Hoffman's character can own it without being having his name on paper and they so they imply that with two lines of dialogue and then Milch has him outright state it and it was it's bad when the luck pilot is reminding me of dialogue in Once Upon a Time, not good. Ooh, oh. Yeah. so there are a few. Harsh. Well, there were just a few kind of lines like that that really stood out and mostly because I expect much more for Milch, but yeah. on the whole these are just. Nitpicks because it is a very mm. promising pilot, though I would say not nearly as solid as a couple of his other pilots that I've seen. Um, but I'm definitely interested to see where it goes.
1: Yeah, I, I, mean, I mean, this has, I think, a much harder job to do than the Deadwood pilot, because we've all seen Westerns. We know what to expect from that world. We haven't seen another show set at, a, at a, you know, that's so specifically related to gambling, as far as I know, uh, at least not in the sort of hardcore, detailed David Milch sort of way. And we specifically haven't seen this environment sort of portrayed in a long form. So the the show has a much harder job, I think, than the Deadwood pilot did. And I I think – oh, I also need to quickly mention Dick and Hinchliffe from uh, Tindersticks – sorry, X of Tindersticks did the music, which I thought was great. Uh, And really, especially for the racing scenes, was just fantastic. Um, And, yeah, anyway, it comes back full-time in January. I think it's only maybe nine episodes. It's a pretty short season. Uh, But I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes from here. I thought the season preview that was at the end of the episode, I don't know if you watched that, but I I thought it was fairly tantalizing. Also, Michael Gambon's going to be showing up later, which is just ridiculous. Very
2: stoked for that. (laughs) And you'll be putting reviews up of of luck on the website. Your your pilot review is already up, but then starting in January, you'll be reviewing it week to week for us. Yeah,
1: I wrote that at four in the morning, so please read it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Now, we normally record on Tuesdays, um, and this week we're recording a little early, and a big part of that is because your mom's coming, but also because there's nothing on Monday night that we particularly wanted to catch. So we don't have any shows for Monday, and so we're going to move, we're going to take a break, listen to some music from Luck, and then move into our spotlight episode of the week, which is, once again, Homeland, The Vest. That was the theme song to *Luck*, which is *Splitting the Atom* by Massive Attack. Um, unfortunately, while there were a few moments of music that were really memorable, I thought from *Homeland*, they're all pretty much the exact same Miles Davis sort of sound as we used previously. So we thought we'd change it up and use some of the music from Luck. But this week we're spotlighting Homeland, which is, uh, this was its penultimate episode. So Mm -hmm. what did you think of this episode, how it paid off the weeks before, and what it promises for the week to come?
1: Well, the, the big question last week was, what is Carrie
2: going to be like when she's off her meds?
1: And boy, did we get that answer this week. I mean, that was yeah. pretty much that was pretty much the driving force of the entire episode. Um, and hats off to Claire Danes for pulling that one off because she got scary, uh, especially in that last scene. Um, I, I, I thought it was another... Uh, I, I'm sort of bored of spotlighting Homeland because it's just, again, <laughs> I, consistency is boring, but it, it, it has been uh, consistent almost completely consistently been been uh, great Uh, i was a little disappointed at how much uh, of this was set up for the finale and it seems like i mean i know it's got a 90 minute finale but it's still got a whole lot to do especially in terms of i have no idea how they're going to satisfactorily resolve this and still be able to keep this cast for next season as i'm assuming they're going to do they haven't said they're not going to do it i feel like we would have the th- the thing about TV is that it doesn't keep secrets very well, so I feel like we would know by now if they weren't keeping people around. So unless Showtime is just being really clever, but I don't. Th- anyway, I'm I'm confused. <laughs> what do you think?
2: I thought it was really good. Um, Claire Danes was of course fantastic, but for me, the as as great as she was, I I think I might have even been a little more impressed with Mandy Patinkin this episode. And I know that there were some who thought that perhaps he knew about her condition and just had kept it on the DL and hadn't really talked about it, but he, that he might know about that. And I think as soon as you see him this, this week, you know, that is not the case. I, I thought he really sold um, Saul's perspective uh, and his concern incredibly well. And, I think this is the the closest we've seen to ha- just how strongly he cares for her, and uh, mm-hmm. and, and I thought it w- I thought it was an excellent performance, as well as I I, I mean I like that just a simple thing of yes she's manic and she's ranting and crazy, but I feel like this is sort of we're seeing what her mind is like, wh- how mm-hmm. the in- inner workings of her this is the kind of thing she's thinking about all the time. She just normally doesn't verbalize it. It's just slowed down that tiny amount by her medication, but it it's just an interesting look at this is the character we've been seeing all season, this is what she's thinking. And uh I liked that it still made sense. It wasn't just crazed rantings. I liked that yeah. there was a narrative line to it.
1: Yeah, especially we you know, we get we get Saul organizing all of her notes and it's like this we finally see like the inside of her like strange synesthesic process of sorting out information and, and, and sort of creating these narratives. And then she realizes there's this narrative gap and then she makes the mistake of calling Brody, which, uh, him calling the authorities was an interesting twist that I wasn't anticipating Um, personally. Were you? I have
2: thoughts on that, that I think we should end with.
1: Okay. Um, Well, we'll, we'll get there. But, uh,
2: I, and just, when we're talking about her board, can I just say how glad I was that there weren't any strings there was no, like, colored string linking up different things. I was so uh, afraid that's what we were going to get. And I was very glad because those don't make sense. Nobody actually <laughs> uses those, I don't think. And so, um, but yeah, I think that, that was great. Let's talk a, bit, a little bit about uh, Brody and his family and his, the you know, the titular vest.
1: Right. Uh, I'm not sure how I feel about the fact that it seems like a lot of the finale is now going to pivot on his daughter, who is you know beginning to suspect things and comes very close to to finding to actually opening the vest, which was quite, which was quite a moment. Uh, I yeah. thought um, that would have been an interesting uh, development. Um, yeah, we'll, well, again, we sort of need to wait till next week to see how that pans out. I thought that the scene at Gettysburg was well done, uh, although maybe, maybe not quite as subtle as they always are, but it was fine. Uh, having him suddenly act. A little bit strange around his kids so that they'll be suspicious is not uh, a, a contrivance I'm all that thrilled about, but you know, it's forgivable.
2: Well, I don't feel like it's a contrivance because he knows, air quotes, assuming that in his head he knows he's going to die. Uh, in mm-hmm. the next several days. And so this is the last time he will probably see them. And mm-hmm. so I can understand him while he's doing his best to maintain a facade of normalcy. Uh, he can't help but feel the need to impress upon his kids his reasoning and that he loves them and that they need to help out their mom, et cetera. So, I mean, I, I thought that they actually handled that pretty well. I thought the performance from the daughter was great, too.
1: Yeah, she was good, and it's hard to get kids acting well, especially on TV. Uh, I, I was really affected by Marina Bakarin's inadvertent cluelessness, wherein she's yeah. finally feeling like, oh, everything makes sense now. Like, oh, you poor child.
2: <laughs> Just her delivery of, I'm happy, I think
1: yeah, that worked was a heartbreaker. really
2: well. I, I was a little. I thought she was going to say, I'm pregnant, and that was going to be what was yeah, going on. Yeah, I was to, thinking like, that too. Yeah, draw like, him back oh. from the edge. I'm so glad they didn't go there.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I was, you know, I was thinking that too, and I was thinking, no, there's already too much pregnancy on TV, <laughs> but uh, no, thankfully not.
2: Now, the as other than the, I think again, nice performance we get from Carrie's family. It was nice to see, to find out exactly what the deal is with her dad. That her dad has the same medical condition, we can assume, and to see the. Ever, uh, ever solid Maggie come back as her sister, and I thought mm-hmm. that was that was really great as well. For me, the biggest takeaway as for what's coming is the end because I feel like un- until it this gets proven wrong next week on Sunday, I feel like that ending is just about the closest thing we're going to get to proof that the mole is the boss.
1: Hmm. Uh. I mean, I don- I really don't see how it could be anyone else considering, I mean, we just don't know any other characters like, other than Saul yeah. and Saul being it would be immensely disappointing. I think unless they no, it's not, some, it can't be Saul, unless they manage some magical feat of justification, uh,
2: yeah. which
1: I don't see happening. Um,
2: it can't satisfactorily be Saul. That is.
1: Yeah. I, although frankly, I'm not really crazy about the idea of the boss being the mole either. Uh, I think that sets up this idea of, of, uh, Claire Danes' redemption a little too easy, although we kind of know that's coming also. Um, yeah. yeah, I, I, I think that the, the finale's got some real pitfalls to try to avoid or at least minimize the damage of. I I, I, I don't see the... I mean, I, I I, see Carrie thwarting the plot. I don't see this being like the end of Rubicon, uh, mm-hmm. but I, uh, I'm hoping they can make it... I, I, I foresee like a dirty victory, basically
2: other than relying on the daughter to to kind of piece things together, Brody's daughter, that is, I I feel like if the boss is the the mole, which it seems like he is, his actions at the end of this episode are going to be he will have overplayed his hand and that's what's going to lead to Saul figuring out that he's the mole and unraveling things from there with Carrie, should she be able to stabilize in time. But I feel like just watching it, it seemed like such an overstatement, and like mm-hmm. like there's no logical reason for the boss to show up and spend his time on this when he's in the situation that the you know the when they're hunting down this guy who's going to try to kill the the vice the president or the vice president. This is mm-hmm. so far below his radar of what's important. There's no way that he should be showing up for it. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, so, I agree. So the fact that he would. I kept waiting for Carrie to to just kind of pause, or at least her eyes, while still jittering around, and say it's you or something like that, and to piece it all together.
1: Well, to be fair, she wasn't doing much pausing. Mm. She she wasn't exactly <laughs> sure. in the in the mindset to pause. I do think the last scene, which you know goes silent except for the jazz, was mm-hmm. really really actually kind of terrifying.
2: Yeah, it was just, great. And- I love again. I love the use of the music in that in that scene. Mm-hmm. It was fantastic.
1: And Dana's expression was just very, very haunting. Um, but then again, even with everything you're saying, I don't see how they keep Brody in it. Or
2: next year, even... I don't know. I have yeah. no idea. I, that was one uh, of or, the things I kept or, waiting yeah. for them to to like hedge their bets or or to. I just we see in this episode he is a true believer, and I don't see him changing his mind. I can only see him getting thwarted. I cannot see him changing his mind and believably in the final episode
1: yeah but uh we'll see but i mean you never know i mean eight episodes ago we thought or nine or whatever we thought this was going to be a show about claire danes watching this guy in his house for a season at least i did so i I mean we'll 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 see where it's headed i have my fingers crossed that they're going to knock it out of the park uh after sons of anarchy i'm a little more cynical although the shows have (laughs) nothing to do with each other. But uh, come on, Homeland, make it, make it happen.
2: Yeah, looking forward to it, and then we'll—I'm sure—we'll spend plenty of time on that next week. And uh, barring a major misstep, major misstep, I would assume that this will be another one in the, uh, in 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 the spotlight. You are now, such before, a dork. Oh yes, just uh, you know, note to the listeners: I did the How I Met Your Mother salute with major misstep, hence. If Anyways. that wasn't
1: clear, if, and if that wasn't clear to you, <laughs> then you have a life.
2: <laughs> Anyways, um, before we move into our DVD shelf With, of course, Matt Singer Talking uh, talking Insomniac with David Tell A few show notes Of course, our intro and outro music is Sweet Petite by the Bicycles And we would love to hear from you Send your email uh, You can send us an email at TheTeleverse at gmail.com Of course, we're going to have a blog post up At soundoutsite.org Where you can leave comments um, On Twitter, I am at theteliverse. So you are
1: Uh, at sucker howell that's H O W E L L,
2: um and you can let him know about how wrong he is about community there or or sons of
1: anarchy or whatever but if you tell me that yeah i i will suddenly direct my ire at you if you tell me that i'm wrong about sons of anarchy
2: (laughs) that's great please antagonize the listeners i think that's i think it'll be fun though actually maybe maybe we can get a flame war going that'd be great uh, yeah well Um, you're never gonna do it well, I'm sorry. I'm too not controversial. I don't know. We had a little bit of a thing with Keith this week.
1: You're um, too nice. Anyways,
2: <laughs> we have. Of course, we're on iTunes. You can get the podcast there. There's both an M4A and an MP3 feed. We would love it if people could leave a uh, leave a review, or if that's too much effort, you can you know just click a certain number of stars, however many you feel we, we deserve. Um, and that would help us. It helps us get more noticed and uh, hopefully bring new listeners to to the podcast. Um, I, we also have the episodes up on mebio.com and Current.com if those are your preferred. If you, you know, much like a few of our listeners here, and, and Simon, hate iTunes with the power of a thousand suns, Actually, I think he said over the power of a thousand cents. Um, those are two other ways that you can uh, listen to the podcast as well. So, um, any anything else I, I've uh, left off there? Simon? No,
1: we we gotta we gotta roll.
2: So we will Matt be Singer's right back out. after this with some talk about Insomniac with David Tal with Mad Singer. <laughs> Coming down, New York City. This is my hey. This week, I'm in New York City.
0: This is where I live, work, play, get drunk, and pass out. That's the beauty of this town, because no matter what you're into, New York has it. So come on, let's go get some. Hey, want to see some real football? Takeoff right here at
2: the Harvest Bowl. The Brooklyn Mariners versus the Buffalo Gladiators. Whoa! Oh, this is going to be a fight. This is not pro ball. This is semi-pro
0: ball. This is not about money or endorsements or hot chicks.
2: It's all about heart right here. Heart. You heard the ref.
0: Oh! So close! What do you guys what do you guys do besides playing ball? What do you do? I sell stock. Stock broker. I'm a New York City detective. Police officer? I'm an out-of-work construction worker. A lot of other teams, you know, after the big game, they get a week off, right? They get to relax. not you got to go to work, right? You gotta go to work, full time job. Kids, Tomorrow. Family.
2: Yeah. yeah. Tonight, got to go home and watch, watch, <laughs> watch the kids. You got to watch the kids. See. <laughs> We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalzik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week at the DVD shelf, we are talking Insomniac with David Tell. It's our first reality show, so that should be fun. And to help us discuss this, this series, we are pleased to welcome film critic Matt Singer to the show. Matt, thanks for coming on.
0: Oh, thanks for having me, guys.
2: So what is it about Insomniac that makes it, as uh, you recently stated on Facebook, in your opinion, the greatest reality show ever made? A bold statement. (laughs) Why do you love this this series so much?
0: Oh, I just love hyperbole. I mean, that has nothing to do with it. No, um, uh, I I don't know. Maybe I I guess I just feel. Although I'm sure there was quite a bit of um, finagling of reality when they made it, and like the fact that um, the whole structure of the show is as if it takes place over the course of one long night. And I know for a fact that they shot it over the course of several nights when they would, um, you know, shoot an episode. It just—it actually feels like you're seeing uh, reality uh, filtered through the eyes of this one very funny inebriated person. Uh, it doesn't feel sculptured or scripted. It doesn't feel like the—they're the, just, you know, they're famous people, um, you know, who have been given a script or a, some sort of scenario. Uh, anything like that. It it feels like reality. It feels closer to a documentary, a long-form like documentary miniseries about alcoholism <laughs> uh, than it does a a reality show as we've come to know it on television.
2: Well, I think part of what makes this series stand apart, uh, particularly at the time when it aired, uh, is the fact that it's on Comedy Central, and they weren't really doing reality at that point. I mean, they have done very few series like this, I would say perhaps um, the Comedians of Comedy Tour and some other things like that. But I mean, having picking David Tell to host this kind of a show is kind of perfect.
0: Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think he's a big reason why it works. I believe it was his idea. The show is his concept. I think he pitched Comedy Central on something like we want to do... Uh, it was like Wild on that old E show where they would go somewhere where you know very exotic and glamorous and just show you people you know uh, partying and bikinis and stuff. He's like, I want to do Wild on uh, Ugly People or something <laughs> like that was his high concept pitch. And um, yeah, obviously it wouldn't work. I mean, they couldn't have it couldn't be the sort of thing where uh, David Tell quit the show and then they made it Insomniac with you know I don't know uh, somebody else, some other. Com- it just wouldn't be the same it was so much his um his perspective on things and his quirky sense of humor and i guess his his indomitable liver as well since he's really drinking all those drinks and he never seems to never seems to get that drunk at least not in anything they actually you know put on television
2: yeah you gotta wonder how much editing uh had to do with that or if he really just has uh, exercised his liver so uh completely over his his life to prepare for this for this series Um, Now, I had seen Insomniac, some of it while it was on. I have an elder brother who is a big fan, so I would watch it with him every now and again. Um, But Simon, did you, as I recall, you hadn't even heard of the series before Matt picked it.
1: No, this was the one series that I, that, you know, when, when we initially sent out the invites for the Televerse, and then I got, we got back Insomniac. I said, what the hell is Insomniac? No idea what it was. And I think to me, personally, I'm not a big reality TV fan. I think I'm on the record as saying that, Uh, partially because I'm always thinking about, like Matt said, the finagling of reality. And there is some of that evident here, which I'll talk about at some point. I think to me, the appeal of the show is mostly getting to see the sort of seedy underbelly of the mostly American cities that I will probably never have time to visit. Uh, you, know, it, you know, I'm, n- I'm probably never going to get to go to Houston, for instance. So it's it's really fun to get to see sort of the, the, the underbelly of, you know, these, uh, these American cities uh, that don't, especially the ones that don't necessarily get a whole lot of exposure on television.
2: Well, and one of the other fun things about it is that while every episode takes place in a different city, it's also fun to see how much people are people. The, regardless of the city, and uh, how many of the interactions would probably be interchangeable between the, the various cities with just a little local color to to spice them up. But I, I think there's something, I don't know, maybe refreshingly honest about a lot of what people say because they're not, you know, this. some of them, when they're interviewed, you can tell they know the show, they know Dave Attell, but a lot of them just seem like they happen to catch them walking home from a show or on their way to work and it just sort of I mean for me I go to bed I'm not a night person at all so I don't think I will ever meet these people at this point you know time in the day so it—it it is sort of a nice window into a world that a lot of us don't necessarily see.
0: Yeah I don't know if I would characterize the um, the world that we see at least generally as seedy or that we're seeing the seedy underbelly um i mean there are some some sometimes where we go to a place that's a little little skeezy or or you know a little little unsavory there's maybe a couple there's a couple of episodes that probably have too many like wet t-shirt contests or those sorts (laughs) of things but i think a lot of it at least what i'm drawn to isn't so much the seediness as it is sort of the ordinariness you know or even the i guess maybe the unordinariness in a certain way like i i'm you know, I hadn't. I watched the show a lot. I probably have seen every episode, um, but not that I could, you know, cite them or quote them like, uh, you know, like like text. But I hadn't seen them in years since they were on, and I dusted off my old uh, DVDs. They never put out a complete series of this show, which is kind of a a real shame. But the ones I have all the DVDs they put out, which are just kind of two paltry ones. And I was rewatching them, and there's one, and they're in some you know town that you wouldn't associate with with wild edgy times at night maybe it was Boise maybe it was Boise Idaho and uh, he's hanging out at like this this really like incredibly charming like gay piercing bar and it's incredibly welcoming and everyone's having a great time and it's and it's it's kind of hilarious you know and it's like instead of it being like oh this is horrifying it's kind of more like oh this is really cute and charming like it's there's something sort of welcoming about it um, and that's something I find really kind of uh, wonderful about the show is that it doesn't judge anyone you know Dave is such a he's such a witty host. He's such a uh, funny guy, and he's incredibly quick with comebacks and and uh, and jokes and lines. But he never really puts anyone down. He's so non-judgmental, which so much of 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 uh, reality television. Even when I enjoy it, there is an element of judgment of judgmental. That's not a word, but judgmentalism to it, the way that we can kind of put ourselves above the people on television, like the famous people, like when famous people do a reality show, well, they're just like us and look at how silly they are and they're He's fighting with his wife, and does, she wants money, and and their dog is pooping on the floor, and aren't you know? It's like you can kind of like comfort yourself into thinking that oh, I'm better than the people I see on television, and you never get that sense. You get a sense. There's almost a sense of community, even just watching the show. If you're watching it at four in the morning, you just feel like you're a part of something, which is 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 kind of nice. And the one other thing um I, that I wanted to comment on was you know the way you talked about them, uh, him him just meeting people on the street. And people who a lot of people who don't even know what the, sh- who the, sh- what the show is or who David Tell is, and I think that's part of the appeal of it is that, um, there again it's like this uh, there's this honesty and I think it has, does have something to do with the alcohol that the alcohol that they uh, you know that they're, they're talking to all these people who are drunk and they have no filter and they're actually talking sincerely and honestly in a way that except on maybe reality, like the awkward moments on reality shows where things go bad because they are plying people with alcohol, like the Top Chef stew room or something. Um, Like, those are like the rare moments that you treasure in other reality shows, but that's all that Insomniac is. That's everything about it.
2: The two shows that it sort of reminded me of, which I believe both came later, are, in in a strange way, uh, Dirty Jobs and Louie, because we see the... Perspective from the the comedian, I mean anybody who I, I feel like the show would be appreciated by anybody who stays up late regularly like I, I believe it aired at like one in the morning or something like that on on comedy central um, so but people who stay up late and see this sort of world and you know and there are a few jobs in performing is one of them where you'll be out late either as a musician or a comedian or an actor perhaps um you finish your show at midnight, and then you, you're gonna go, you know, unwind before you go to bed. And so, I, I really enjoy that that element of it. But I also like how much of the time it feels like almost every episode they find sort of an odd job in that area, roughly, and then they go check it out and see who. So they show you the people who are out at that time and day of day or night partying, but they also show you the people who that's their normal hourly job being awake and doing various things at that time of night
0: yep yeah that's yeah absolutely yeah there is an ethnographic quality to it you do feel as funny as the show is and as occasionally uh kind of uh grimy as it can be at on occasion there is an element of yeah there's like an educational quality to it too there's an episode i think it's maybe new orleans uh some some southern city where he goes out uh hunting nutria With the local, like, police. Yeah. Like, you you have no idea what that is until you watch it. Nutria are some kind of, like, vermin, like, giant rats or something. And because they're such a nuisance, the only way to get rid of them is to, like, drive around shooting them with shotguns. It's crazy. But, again, it's like something you've never seen this before. It's really kind of – it's 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 really interesting to see that sort of uh that that sort of job. Yeah, that, that is someone's job, you know, or or the night watchman at an amusement park or the guy who runs like the sewage treatment plant, you know, like it it does sort of expose a lot of the things about our world that we take for granted and don't ever think about because, you know, we're asleep. It is kind of cool to see those things.
2: Well, and as for the the nutria episode, I I just can't help but laugh every time I think of it because of the la- the closing um, line of text on the screen saying many many animals were harmed in the filming of this episode yeah there's yeah, yeah there's... that's not
0: an episode for the for the vegetarians out there i guess
1: <laughs> uh kate you you mentioned shows that reminded or that you associate with this one i have to say that i wouldn't be surprised at all to, to find out that insomniac was an influence on anthony bourdain's No Reservations. Which is the show that I thought of when I was watching it? Just obviously, that's also a cooking show as well as a travel show, but I sort of associate Bourdain's style of hosting a little bit with the Tells in the same way that they're both uh, slightly uncouth or sometimes very uncouth, and are fond of sort of going off the beaten path. And uh, I, I really feel like they were taking notes when when Insomniac was on.
0: I, I could see that. It's uh yeah, there's definitely a, a kinship there. I, I definitely a. Uh... Although I haven't watched a ton of uh, No Reservations. That, that does feel, when I do watch it, that does feel like a show that has a, a more clear connection to actual, tangible reality than a, than a lot of other quote-unquote reality shows. It doesn't feel quite as uh, scripted, which is ironic since it's, it's narrated. The whole show is narrated, which is almost certainly scripted. But um, I can see that. I mean, li- like I was saying, like uh, um, you know, Insomniac does have its roots in other shows. It wasn't like David Tell invented the format of the travel show. But I do think, yeah, I do think he kind of, his his thing where you have this really kind of affable host that's sort of commenting on the proceedings and also um, sort of engaging in them and, and taking a part in what you're seeing, that definitely has rubbed off in a nice way on a lot of um, series. I've always been disappointed. I I mean, I, think they, I don't think the show was canceled so much as it was sort of ended where it got to the point, I think, where he became, while in the beginning nobody might have known who he was and he could walk around anonymously with a camera crew, by the end of the of the show, you know, he was a pretty well-known guy, especially amongst insomniacs and late-night drinkers, so he couldn't quite just walk into a bar and just sidle up to somebody and start talking to them. It became a whole, you know, like kind of everyone wanted to, you know, flash the camera and, and buy him a drink and all this sort of thing, so it kind of it killed the format. But I always wondered why he didn't do something else uh, similar because I just find him such a charming personality. I think he just started a new show on Showtime, which I haven't watched, but... Um yeah i the world needs more david tell as far as i'm concerned
2: well and one of the things he does and i think this does tie back in uh simon with your your comment on its similarity to tony bourdain show is it's funny and that seems like a, a maybe a, a easy or simple thing to say about a reality show hosted by a comedian but given the number that you've you can see that are hosted by comedians that aren't funny i think it is worth Worth saying, we we start every episode with a bit of of his stand up, which I think is smart because that's almost always entertaining and it brings you in to to the the comic sensibility of the show. And then he's very he's very good interacting with with the people that that he meets on the street. And he's also, but you can also see that he's smart about how he structures the the show and and perhaps the credit should go to the producer for that. But I mean, this is something we can talk about for a bit. It's this is not reality these if you actually watch the the episode from a city that you're familiar with you'll notice these places are not connected at all and there's no way you could get from this part of town to that part of town in the amount of time that they show and it's clear that some of the stuff has been scheduled ahead of time so that especially the the interviews and the jobs so that they can you know piece it all together but but and yet it still has that sense of authenticity and humor that i think allows the audience to suspend its disbelief
1: yeah, a perfect example of what you're talking about in terms of the sort of squelching of reality. And I don't know if it's more brazen because they're in Canada or if they do similar things in the other cities. Maybe you guys can speak to that. But in the Montreal episode, a, a little I think it's, a, it's supposed to be a little after 1 a.m., um, Dave goes to Lac-Saint-Pierre in, quote, Montreal, which is actually a three-hour drive away from Montreal. It's actually closer to Ottawa and he's he's meant to have gotten there in, like, 15 minutes. <laughs> so it's it's not only it's not, not only mislabeled in terms of where it is, but it's also impossible that he's there at that time.
2: Well, and I like that they, you know, I could see how that might bother some people because it might feel like it's phony or something, but I like that they don't really care about that and they don't limit themselves to actually following him over the course of this set of time because I think that would probably be a very boring show.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Well, and if there's a danger that this show runs into, I would say, or a flaw with it, I would say that it's not very, at least for me, um, it's not very marathonable. After a few episodes, if you watch them in a row, it starts to feel repetitive. You're seeing a lot of the same types of people for a majority of of the show. and, And it can start to feel old. But if you're watching it week to week as it was intended, I think it's actually incredibly successful.
0: I've watched I've watched some uh, marathons. I mean, I've watched uh, – I've done a play all on a DVD disc and sat there and watched a whole, you know, two hours worth of five or six episodes. But, uh, yeah, it, it was definitely made to be seen sort of at random at 11 o'clock at night as you're flipping channels. Um, it, 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 and there is a – you know, there is some overlap. It is a, a structurally very similar show, but – you know, I, like you said, it is kind of like one of those Dirty Jobs type shows. I don't know. Would you sit and watch five episodes of Dirty Jobs in a row? I, I don't know. Uh, but <laughs> I, I think it holds up pretty well. I mean, like I said, I haven't seen the show in a long uh, time. It's been, you know, maybe five years or so since I had watched it. And I thought it, it, it really holds up well. I, and I was kind of surprised how good of an interviewer David Tell is. You know, like that's something that I never really took. I sort of took for granted. Uh, maybe just having done a lot more interviews in my life now than when I had started watching it what he's doing is not easy to talk to just random strangers to make them sound funny and charming or to play off them when they're being real you know jerks because they're incredibly drunk and to not come off like a jerk yourself when you're doing it uh that's not easy what he's doing is very very difficult um and his questions are good you know like randomly walking up to someone and just starting a conversation with them on camera when you're also drinking and you're trying to be funny is is not as easy as he as he makes it look
1: yeah there's nothing easy about interviews already but then interviewing (laughs) strangers is is a whole other thing well we're talking about uh viewing uh my I, i didn't really have too much of a problem marathoning it but i did find that that the longer I was watching it, the more I felt like I was missing out. But if I wasn't method viewing, you know, <laughs> watching it really late, watching it really late at night with a with a glass of whiskey.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I I, I should maybe give that a shot while I still have the DVDs at home because uh, I hadn't thought of that. But I wonder if that would make it uh, more entertaining or less. More. More. For the record. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> for me, one of the other things I wanted to make sure that we talk about, while because we are running low on time is i love the music that they use the theme song i I think is perfect it's this sort of twisted carnival sort of song and i and i i love uh how this the scoring that they use and how sparingly they and well they they use it
0: yeah there's great music in the movie i think um, in the show rather i think the commentaries on the dvds uh david tell says that the composer for the whole series and i forget his i don't know his name apologies you can find him i'm sure on imdb he worked with him to write the lyrics and to record it and stuff and um the only direction that they had given him beforehand when they were developing it was they wanted like like tom waits but with david tell's humor and that's sort of i think what they i think they did a nice job actually of kind of capturing that that vibe it is a very like weirdly catchy theme song actually Mm -hmm. and the whole the whole score of the show is great too actually
2: yeah Um, So uh,
0: any final thoughts, Uh, Matt? Uh, It's a great show. It holds up. I'm glad when you invited me and asked me to think of anything, I picked this instead of something more obvious because I really liked revisiting the show. And I want the complete series on DVD. Some DVD company, Comedy Central DVDs or somebody needs to put out the uh, the complete – it's only 40 episodes. It wouldn't be that huge of a – you know, it could, there could be like a, a a nice box set of the whole thing. Somebody needs to uh, to undertake that, and if they do, they will have at least one guaranteed sale.
2: <laughs> Simon.
1: Well, does anyone know? If, sorry, just in response to that, does anyone know if the whole show is available to stream somewhere, like on Netflix Instant or something?
2: You know, I don't have Netflix yet, but. I don't think
0: so. I mean, I looked when uh, when we were doing this. I was looking around to see if there was somewhere to watch them, and I, I didn't see them. I might have missed them. They certainly aren't on Netflix. Netflix, I believe, has the DVDs, the same ones that I have, the two best of Insomniac uncensored collections. Um, you can rent them, the discs, but I didn't see Instant on there, and I haven't found them anywhere else um, that I checked. All right um they may be online somewhere illegally i didn't uh i didn't check that or if they were on youtube or something but at least in terms of legal channels i didn't see them
2: yeah
1: Mm -hmm.
0: well i definitely think they it deserves a release especially since they released two volumes of a best of and
1: it's like at that point you're a quarter of the way to releasing the whole series anyway so why not
2: well and not to mention that at least based on the amazon reviews this the first best of at least is in no way an actual best of um I know that when I was asking around for suggestions of which cities I should try to see, most of those, the ones that I was told were actually really great episodes, aren't available. So that was a bit frustrating. And in this, you know, considering the DVDs that you can get, the, the breadth of selection out there, it seems strange that this has yet to be to be put together. Um the final thing I would mention about the series is I do really like the structure of it um the the formula as it were of it starts with him finishing his his show on his insomniac tour and then we follow him through the air quotes evening uh and until the sun comes up and then it ends every week with go to bed and I think it's i think it's a really fun show that people should check out if if it sounds, I feel like it's this kind of show that if people hear about it and they think it sounds interesting, they'll probably enjoy it. So, uh, Matt, where can our listeners find you on the Internet?
0: Oh, they should just follow me on Twitter, I guess. Twitter.com slash Matt Singer. Everything I'm up to, I end up posting there at some point.
2: <laughs> okay, well, fair enough. Thank you so much for coming on.
0: Sure, it was my pleasure.
2: And uh, we'll see you next week on the Televerse. Thanks for listening. Really neat and i as i recalled the third anniversary is the mixtape anniversary so it feels appropriate is it? i
1: i did not know i did not even know that when i did it so i just give mixtapes all the shit. time i don't I, <laughs> what?
2: That's what i was being full of shit <laughs> dude <laughs> there's no mixtape anniversary <laughs> i just give mixtapes all the time i don't know
1: if there's any real life rules
2: that's hilarious outtake Go. That's... Oh, good. <laughs> oh, sorry. Okay. Well, you should continue. But beyond, it's,
1: it's a it's a, it's a good thing I have my webcams set to black and white because you can't see me like blushing. <laughs> just awkwardness.
2: Oh, but that's hilarious. Oh, anyways.